We will be reading Acts 6, just 1 to 7 today. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, Perimenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And God, we don't want to ruin your word. We want to step on your word with opinions, with feelings, promptings, impressions. We want you to speak to us. So breathe life into this text, God. Let this church hear what you have to say. Let us all hear what you are speaking to us, God. 2,000 years later, you're still speaking out of your word to your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Waiting on tables. Interesting part of the book of Acts. When you're reading here, uh, a book filled with such power, miracles, signs and wonders, healings, everything has taken place. Disciples are multiplying increasingly uh, from, a, from a city. Jerusalem had wanted nothing to do with Christ. They are piling into the church all of a sudden through the influence, of course, of the Holy Spirit, but predominantly through the preaching of the word as the Holy Spirit gives unction and opens up the hearts of these people. And they're piling in. The church is growing. And, and we come, of course, to the story tonight. Uh, another incident in the life of the young church. Up until this point, internal life in this church, we don't know, maybe two or three years into this after the resurrection, I'm just saying that it could be months, but most likely it's probably several years, and what we have is the internal life of the church has been relatively smooth, internally, except for the husband and wife team that we read about a couple of weeks ago in chapter 5, Ananias' fire. Uh, things were pretty good, you know, they're the ones that said they sold their house for a certain amount of money and they gave it all, because they wanted to feel like... Wow, they gave it all. But they really didn't give it all. They were lying to God. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. It immediately brought God's discipline on their life, and he took them home. The problem with our text tonight is not a heart issue. The Luke, the historian, never paints it as a heart issue, like the couple. Without a doubt, the couple was a heart issue. But this is more logistical and linguistical. It's cultural. There's a cultural difference taking place here. The church has grown so big, so fast, that people, human beings, were being overlooked. And you can't have this. Church is about God and about people. It's about people. 
God would be very sad if all it was, he got all the glory, which he does, but people weren't loving one another. That's why we have two commandments. Love the Lord God with all heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's about God and his people. And this group was doing so well, so much stuff was going on, but there were people being overlooked, and this cannot be. Cannot be. And it had a side effect. The ministry of the word and of prayer was being infringed upon. This cannot be either. Neither one can be. People can't be overlooked. And the word of God cannot be neglected. For the vitality and health of any church, both preaching and practical ministry have to go hand in hand. Neither one outruns the other. And we're going to look upon that tonight. The apostles could not function in the fullest capacity as teachers and evangelists as they've been doing and serve at the distribution of food, which they were also doing. So we have a a conflict resolution taking place in our story tonight in these seven verses. We've got the conflict, we've got the complaint, and we've got the resolution, we've got the solution, the apostles saying get seven men and so on and so forth. We're going to look at this. This short story is packed with wisdom, 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 wisdom. For the, uh, for the church life, not just back then, but for today too. A lot of application. And we don't want to overlook it at all. We don't want to just go through this short story as if there's not much there. It goes to show the true unity of the church. There's no separation between leaders and lady at all. There's no separation between practical, social implications of the gospel and preaching the gospel. It's all one. And we need to see that in our text tonight. We need to see it in our, own, in our own church. It goes to show the true unity of the church as they all met, all met to resolve this problem. There was a complaint, yes, and it seems, as I said earlier, it's more of a matter of fact than accusatory. It wasn't accusatory as, well, look what's happening here. Luke makes no mention of that. It's more of a... Uh, how could I say? It's, it's just a matter of fact. It's more practical than spiritual. The church grew so large and many members were poor. And many of the poor were alien to Jerusalem. They were Hellenists. They were the outsiders. And that's what a Hellenist was. A Hellenist was a Jew who didn't grow up in Jerusalem knowing the, the Hebrew language or the Aramaic language. They grew up in a Greek culture far from Jerusalem. But they were religiously, they were Jewish. But they grew up in a culture of, that was foreign to Judaism. They grew up in a Greek culture. By culture, they were Greek. By religion, they were Jews. The Hebrews were different. These Hebrews were from Jerusalem. They were from Palestine. They spoke the native tongue of Hebrew. They spoke the native tongue Aramaic. They read the, the Hebrew scriptures. The Hellenists would read the Greek scriptures. So we have a conflict here between the two. They were all coming to, coming to Christ. The Hellenists were coming to Christ. And, and the Hebrews were coming to Christ. They were all Jews. But there, were, there was a cultural war going on. And the discrepancy does break out. There's a genuine problem with linguistics. They don't speak the same language. It's like having a Spanish church and an English-speaking church all happening around one time. 
Something breaks down after a while. Something has to take place. And that's what's going on. That's what we have going on here. And uh, besides the problems they're having, when a Jew came out of Judaism and embraced Christianity, guess what? Their family cut them off as, as dead. The synagogue that used to take care of them disregarded them now. And the Jews had something implemented for the welfare. It was a, 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 a benevolence to orphans and widows and aliens that they took care of their own. But now that they're not in the synagogue anymore, their family wouldn't take care of them. This is a big issue, taking care of the widows. Extremely big. With all this going on, this natural discrepancy sets in and complaints follow. This is what's taking place. But listen to the wisdom as we go through this and the importance of learning from this lesson. Not just for a church, but for friendships, workplace, whatever takes place in this church, at home, you're going to learn lessons of what we see here today. Let's follow the text as it reveals much on wisdom on many matters vital to church and personal life and ministry. Let's go to verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the complaint. Somewhere in the middle of this outreach of the apostles and this extraordinary great church growth, a discrepancy took place. Something was bound to happen. When any one thing grows so fast with people, with different cultures and different personalities, guess what? You're going to get a little bit of tension. That's what's taking place. On the inside, it might look like it's innocent and it could have easily been overlooked. You know, so much good is going on. Think about it. Peter was walking down the block in the last chapter and they were piling the people out in the street. Guess what? Just to be healed. Don't miss what's taking place. I mean, just think in a month that we have 300 people trying to pile in here to get saved. Times of revival, I don't just say that in some kind of a, you know, a joking way. That happens sometimes. But with what happens... People get in the way. Tension begins. People might feel slighted. And we can overlook that easily because, well, so much good is happening. Let's just keep it going. Let's not take time now to deal with this complaint. Let's put the complaint on what? The back burner. No, you don't do that in church. You don't do that when you're dealing with people. It's not a situation. It's people. But Luke puts this in to show the wisdom of God working through the leaders to protect the church from implosion. Don't miss it. If Satan cannot ruin the church from the outside through the Sadducees and through the external threats, then he'll do everything he can to exploit what's left in the human heart. He'll do anything where a complaint is not met, it will turn into warfare. And Satan knows this. The epistles deal widely on this issue. Daily distribution was a serious, serious matter. Anyone who has ever worked in food pantries or uh, homeless shelters knows that this ministry occupies much of the day. It's time-consuming ministry. You don't just show up and there's food there and you hand it out. You had to go get it. You were dealing with 
finances too. It was a full-time job. And, you know, there was no, I don't know if you know, there were no refrigerators 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Anybody know that? A little bit of history. But it was a daily distribution. Daily, it's said several times. Daily distribution. You can't give someone food for a week 2,000 years ago. You had to feed them every day, twice a day. Twice a day. They got two meals a day. And when the majority of those being saved are from the poor backgrounds and their family, their friends, acquaintances in the synagogue have shut them out as not even living anymore, it's imperative that this ministry is well working and working well and efficient. This is a serious, serious ministry. To neglect the daily distribution was to neglect the very food the people need to live on. They were depending on Christ. They were depending on the church. It's imperative that this ministry is working just as well as preaching and teaching. Don't miss it. Just as well. There's no tension between the spiritual and the practical here. True spiritual blessings always create practical needs because spiritual blessing blesses people. And people have practical needs, many of them, emotional needs, psychological needs, physical needs, financial needs. There's needs. God saves people that have... Who said that? (laughs) Praise the Lord. God saves people. The majority of the people being saved are needy. Praise the Lord. God's concern for both, not one above the other. To be a widow in ancient times was a serious, serious problem. They had no land. There was no husband. There was no family. They don't have a synagogue now. Uh, They were vulnerable. They were a vulnerable, vulnerable Minority within Judaism and especially now in Christianity, they're, 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 they're extremely vulnerable, let's say, to the elements. They have nothing. Nothing at all. Except for the goodness of God. The Christian church responded appropriately, which they learned from their Jewish roots. The complaint rose out of this background and left unchecked would have dire consequences for the unity of the church. So I don't want you to think when we hear about the complaint, oh, let's get together, throw a couple of people at them, simmer them down, just get them, just get them thinking about something else. No, the, the apostles knew this is a serious issue. This is serious ministry. This is a serious complaint. We cannot neglect this for a moment. Got to deal with it immediately. We cannot let this fester at all. And he goes to verse 2. And this is what they did. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples. They didn't cherry pick a bunch of yes people. The full number of disciples. And said this. It is not right that we should give up preaching in the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles quickly dealt with this as they should have. They did it in a congregational way. So accountability and equity would rule the day. Accountability and equity would rule the day. 
and put a stop to any rumors or suspicion which are no place in the Christian community. I don't want you to miss this. Transparency is king in all matters of church life. Transparency has to be. No secret meetings taking place. No things taking place that involve everybody. And there are certain issues within the church that transparency is king. It's more than appropriate. I'm not talking about small things, but in a matter this big, between two almost could turn into a warring fraction between the two. This is a serious issue. You don't put it to the side, you deal with it right away. The 12 show the whole, that the, their role in the ministry and of the word is of utmost importance. They made it clear. We cannot serve tables and give up the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Not that social issues aren't important. They are important. But they have their place. And that what's important is not the preacher. They didn't say, hey, listen, this is below us. You know, me and John are just too busy. We can't, can't clean the toilet. That's, that's below me. They're not saying that. They're saying, it's not about us. It's about the word of God. What's important is not the preacher, not the apostle. They gladly served. They, they were doing it all. They didn't mind. But it was starting to infringe upon their prayer life. It was starting to infringe upon their preaching life. And that is what's wrong. Not that it's below them. What's important is the office of preaching. These two things can get miscued at times, and the egos can take over, and all of a sudden you've got personality cults happening. It was never about the apostles, it was always about the risen Christ and his word. That's why all these people are there in the first place. The people were there, not because they were handing out food, the people came because they were given the bread of life, which caused this giant community now needs food. They have a solution. Verse 3 and 4 says this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's obvious that the apostles were somewhat engaged in the serving of daily distribution. And like I said already, gladly I might add. But that it was infringing upon their commission and their call to preach and to pray. These men that were called. Excuse me. They were called by Christ to be students of the word. And that's something that's missing here. I don't want you to miss that. These apostles weren't just called to preach the resurrection of Christ, which they saw and witnessed. They were called to be students of Christ and his word, to preach the word and communicate the risen word. And they had to do that on a daily basis. They needed to deal with the daily distribution of spiritual bread, the bread of life. The bread of life. This is also time-consuming. Not just a food pantry. 
Not just a daily distribution of practical needs for the church. That's time-consuming. And you've got to be ready for it. But so is preaching. Preaching was time-consuming. But the apostles were saying, I, I can't shorten my prayer life. It's utmost importance and vitality to the church. No short Bible study is going to do. No sloppy sermon is going to give you life. If I'm doing it all, I'm neglecting the word of life. And just like the food pantry and the, the distribution of food and all social practical needs of the church are utmost important and are time consuming and need our undivided attention and energies, so does the preaching of the word. We're talking about preaching the bread of life. No short prayer life. No short study. No sloppy sermon preparation is going to do. Preparation of both the heart and the mind is essential to gospel ministry. It's essential. Just like the preparation and distribution of food. Heart and mind have to be in. He goes on to first, before I move on to the qualifications, this pleased everybody. Listen to verse 5a. He says, And when they said these things, it, it pleased the whole gathering. The whole gathering was happy about the solution. Both the Hellenists and the Hebrews, the widows, those concerned about the widows. But they weren't just concerned and happy about the distribution of of food. They were happy that the bread of life wasn't going to be neglected. Don't miss that. Oh, thank goodness we're going to go to that church and we're going to get our physical needs met. No, thank goodness when we go to church and they give us bread, they're going to give us the bread of life also. They were happy about the solution. They were concerned for a moment that the bread of life itself would be infringed upon. And it would just be a social thing here. And Jesus would closely put outside the door. No, no. It was happy that there was a solution to both problems. Proper distribution of the daily food and proper distribution of the bread of life. Church should have both. Can't remember something. This church, when we go back to chapter 4 and chapter 2, they met daily in the temple and from house to house. And guess what they did? They prayed, broke bread, and listened to the teachings of the apostles. They knew the importance of the truth. They knew the importance of the gospel. They understood that the whole community revolves around the risen Christ. They knew it was important. But they give qualifications. What they're saying is you can't give this job to anybody. Don't think it's just food. The kitchen staff. Who cares about the kitchen staff? As long as they're feeding people. Don't miss what's taking place. The qualification of these seven men. First of all, good repute. This is a person who has a proper respect within the local community, both saved and unsaved. 
This is not a person that walks out on the street and he's a different person there and comes back here and he's a different person here. You don't put it on here and you don't got it on out there. If you don't got the game face of love on, you don't got the game face of love. You don't put it on and off. It's a good repute. It's a good reputation amongst all people. Saved and unsaved, secular, spiritual. This is a person that does not speak well of themselves, but others speak well of them. They should be men filled with the Spirit. Obviously, these men exemplify the virtues of Christ. We're going to find out later that these Philip, the evangelist, and, and Stephen, actually, in the next, this chapter we read on, they did mighty works of miracles in the name of Christ. They were used elsewhere. And it just goes to show the great humility. These men were raising the dead, too. These men were saving sinners, too. These men were used mightily in the scriptures, but yet they were humble enough to serve tables. Man, if the church grabbed this, they could care less. This is the mindset. I'll do anything for the Lord. I'll preach for the Lord. I'll heal the dead for the Lord. I'll serve God's people. Makes no difference. They're full of the Spirit. The fruit always reveals the fruit. How do you know when someone's full of the Spirit? How do you know? Anybody can say, I'm full of the Spirit. But understand something, they didn't go around saying, is there anybody full of the Spirit? Uh, uh, Harking on to thee. We're we're taking it out in the paper, the Jerusalem Times. We're we're looking for Spirit-filled men. Is there anybody who qualifies? They'd be flying in here. No, you go out and you notice, as they exemplify the virtues of Christ, you'll see the fruit of Christ in them in their life. That's what he's saying It's already obvious. Fruit always reveals root. And I might add something here. A little biblical theology. To be full of the Spirit means the Old Testament's gone and it's non-existent. It's gone. It's faded into its old glory. Like the, like the glory fading on Moses' face when he had the law. It was only temporary. Men filled with the Spirit were now engaged in personal relationship with the risen Christ. The new age has come. The old is gone. The new covenant is here. Now it's new wine and new wineskins. We're not doing church the old way anymore. It's over. When you come to our meetings, guess what they're saying? You meet God himself. Not the Lord of Moses. These men were all in. When it comes to the Christian faith. We're going to find out in the book of Acts. Not many were. You go to Acts 15. You're going to find out there were many men who were still zealous for the law. But they believed in Christ. These men. It was Christ. And Christ alone. Very important. There were need to be men filled with Wisdom. This is a person who thinks about life from a God perspective first. A Christian wise man is a Christian wise woman, a Christian wise mother, 
a Christian wise father, a Christian wise grandmother, a Christian wise grandfather, thinks of life from a God perspective first. Application of God, the application of the knowledge of God is what wisdom is. To understand the will of God and to know it and then apply it to all personal relationships. That's wisdom. All situations of the wise man are thought through. All situations. There's no knee-jerk emotional reactions. Oh, the Hellenists are hungry and there's complaint to get over there. Mm. Oh, the Hebrews don't want to give them any... Don't, don't. No, no, no. These are people that were practical-minded. They, were, they had prudence, candid, discretion. They knew how to carry themselves in all interpersonal relationships. No bias. Because they're thinking from a God perspective. They know how to deal with tensions. They know how to deal with complaints before they turn into wars. They know how to deal with a complaint before it turns into a miscommunication. Do you know how many people fight because of miscommunication? Just miscommunication. That's what we got going on here. You need a wise person to go in there, get their people, get people focused back on God, the will of God, the centrality of Christ, and not personal opinions. Are you with me? Yes. That's the wisdom they're talking about here. In this way, the church is provided for with safety and equity, all fairness. The men. As I read already. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorius, Nakana, Timon, Paramenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, that's a Greek who became a Jew, and from his Jewish roots became a Christian. These they set before the apostles and they prayed, they laid hands on them. Notice the wisdom. They're getting ordained now. This is their ordination. But the wisdom here that they're all Greek names. Most likely, they were all Greeks from the Hellenist camp, the complaining camp. Most likely. Not necessarily. Most scholars believe that most of them, if not all of them, came from the camp that was raising the complaint. The apostles really just see the beauty of this, there's no favoritism being played on. And remember, the congregation, both Jewish and Hellenist Christians, they picked out these men. And let me tell you something about these men. They picked out these men and ordained them. Listen, they were men chosen. They weren't chosen. You know, so we chose you because we're going to send you to school. So you can learn love. You don't send people to school to learn love. What they have here, no man can teach. Their qualifications, only God can teach. They were men who out of the overflow of their hearts for God and his people were already operating in these high qualities and virtues of Christ. These weren't gifts. Wisdom is not a gift. It comes from obedience to the word of God. The spirit of God is, well, of course, a gift, but all believers get the spirit of God. And a good reputation is not a gift. It's character and action. 
See, these men were already in. They were leaders when no one was looking. Go find seven men. Well, yeah, we know seven. They're doing everything already. They already qualified. They're not looking for a job. They weren't campaigning to be this person. Out of the overflow of their heart and their love for Christ and what Christ was doing, what the Spirit of God was doing, they were overwhelmed. They loved the people. They were leaders when nobody was looking. Their leadership was noticed by their service to other people. This is the quintessential Christian preparation for serving God. If I could tell you how many people told me and John how gifted they were. Oh, I was so gifted. When I speak eloquently, people just float to the altar and get saved. And then they're, they're, him and the wife are they're fighting at home and the cops are to their house three times in three months. But that doesn't count. That's just how gifted people are. How, no, it is not. It is not. You got to pass the acid test of love first, not gifting. Gifting is second. God can give a gift to anybody. But this kind of character, this kind of love, no, this comes out of genuine devotion to the Lord. It's the quintessential Christian preparation for serving God. It's these men that the apostles ordained for the task of serving food with wisdom and sensitivity. Like I said, this is high qualifications the Christians give for the kitchen staff. This is a serious issue. Do you know why? You know what? Well, all Christian ministry is important. I'm going to get to that later on. That's the front lines. The daily distribution twice a day. That was front line ministry. You need wise men. Sensitive men. Wise women. Sensitive women. Men and women who are filled with the spirit. Who think with God's thoughts first. Who have a good reputation amongst all people. On the front line. That's what you need. Soldiers for Christ. Sold out for Christ. Not people campaigning for a job. High qualifications. Verse 7. Listen to the success. Listen how God blessed this coming together to deal with this problem in a very serious way. We could say, and God continued to bless the word. God continued to increase the number of disciples greatly. And not just that. But God also gave many priests to become obedient to the faith. God was pleased with the solution. Amen? Now that some house cleaning was finally finished up, the apostles could go back to doing what they were called to do and focus on the word of the bread of life going forth. And with it came in more disciples. And Luke highlights that many priests came to the faith. This means that they came down before the apostles and they bowed their knee to the doctrine of Christ. That's what it means. It doesn't mean they just were on board. They were like Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Of everything Jesus was telling them not too long ago. They embraced the teachings that Jesus of Nazareth is God's Christ. The solution was a success. Let's go into a couple of applications. 
the complaint. When complaints are not addressed quickly and wisely, death can enter a community or relationship at any time. Isn't that true? Isn't it? Letting anything fester is... Husbands and wives, come on. We know that. You don't let... The scripture, God knows what he's saying when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it quickly. Repent quickly. Even if you're going to the altar to bring a gift and you know someone might have something against you, don't even bring the gift. Go get right with your brother. Deal with it quickly, the Bible says. Never letting a complaint fall into suspicion. Then rumors, it'll kill a community. It'll kill a family. It will kill a friendship. It will kill husbands and wives. These kind of things turn viral quickly. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, if you can pull it up. In verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up in someone's heart, paraphrase, and causes trouble. And many by it become defiled. This kind of stuff needs to be, that was the wisdom, they saw that. It's a serious matter. Communication of differences is essential to healthy relationship. Communication of differences is a healthy, uh, essential to healthy churches. I'm going to tell you that right now. You have to have it. Bitterness behind the scenes, just going through the motions, taking the complaints, taking what people, people, we're talking about people, we're talking about God's people, we're talking about souls. When a soul says, Pastor, I think something's wrong, you got to listen. You don't push somebody away, or you're just a poor widow. You got no standing here. You can't say nothing substantial. You get out of the way. We got we got a revival taking place. We don't have time to deal with your pettiness. No, 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 no. You get down and dirty with the complainers. A child is saying, "Mommy, Daddy, you listen." Is there truth? Is it perception? Is it trouble? That's why it takes wisdom. Two. Something happened in this church. Some of the dynamics were changing. It can happen today when a church dynamics begin to change and some people could feel threatened. Let me explain. You're going to a church for a long time and all of a sudden God brings in... uh, Many cultural differences, new faces, new cultures, new ethnicity. It brings change to a church. Many people in church get uncomfortable about that. You know, someone's sitting in my seat. Don't you know I've been sitting there for 15 years and, and now you're sitting in my seat? It sounds childish, doesn't it? But no one's laughing because you know it's true. We get very possessive, don't we? Not just that, but other people's gifting that resembles our own could bring out insecurities and jealousies out of us. Insecurities and jealousies. I've seen that. And other people's weaknesses could bring out the inner, hidden self-righteousness in us. 
Change in church threatens some people in the flesh. Carnality. you got to remember, I say this a lot. Church is a test tube. We're a mix of cultures, idiosyncrasies, personalities, ethnicities, weaknesses, strengths, opinions. We all get in there and shake it together. But the one element that brings unity is the grace of Christ. That's it. That's the one little dab in there. Because it shouldn't work. But when you put grace in there, it works. And what comes out is the glory of God. Because God takes unity that should not work. Socioeconomic, racial, ethnicity, culture, language barriers, education barriers, whatever it might be. And what makes it work, where you can take a bunch of people like this from various backgrounds, some steeped in sin like the Corinthians, some not like Philip uh, 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 and, uh, and Andrew, uh, Jesus' disciples. They were good Jewish boys. And you can bring them together and it works because everybody depends on God for grace. No one's better and no one's worse. Three. Every position in the church should be held by spiritual Christians. No position is insignificant. You know something, you know, you learn lessons along here. When you have somebody who is occupying a sort of front lines ministry, and they're not filled with the spirit, and they don't have wisdom, and they don't have a good reputation, without you realizing they can slowly but surely undermine pastoral ministry. They can undermine preaching. Everything John and myself do, what we do in this church, is to build unity out of diversity, and we labor until Christ is formed in people. And we go to great pains to do that. Paul says, I I go to great pains until Christ is formed in you. It's painful, and it takes a lot of time and energy and sensitivity and patience and long-suffering. And you get someone who's not filled with faith and wisdom, and they're on the front lines, they undermine this stuff. Because the flesh and carnality getting on, they're throwing around opinions, and it it can get ugly. I've seen it firsthand. It's not good. Not good at all. These seven men could take the back of the apostles. They were on the apostles' side. They said amen to the apostles' teaching. They submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They submitted themselves to God. They spoke the same language. The people speaking up in the front, I should say the people in the back were speaking the same thing they were speaking up in the front. There was no discommunication. The people that worked in the back on the food line was just as pure as the people preaching the gospel up in the front. How important is now? How important is to raise up somebody? Please understand that. I'm pouring myself out out of Sonship Ministries. You know how hard it is. You just don't give people jobs because, well, we need a spot. So guess what? Anybody, any port in the storm is going to do. Any personality would do. You know something? We'd rather not grow. I'd rather not than put people into positions that can undermine not me, but undermine Christ. I don't care about me. Care about the Word of God. Care about Christ. You don't let anybody undermine that. 
but not least. The most important thing to the apostle was the most important thing to Philip, to Stephen, and those seven men. The most important thing to the apostles, the most important thing to those seven servants, and the most important thing to everybody else, the Hellenists and the Jewish Christians, understand something. The most important thing is that the word of God was going forth. They all rallied around it. For John and myself, we take it very serious when people come on board and help us out in anything. It frees us up so we can study the word of God and pray. The last thing you want to do is a pastor's mind who's empty. The last thing you want to do is a pastor's heart who's empty from a lack of study and a lack of prayer. It is our job to spend quality time personally with the Lord in prayer. Bringing the needs of the people before the Lord. It's painful. It's burdensome. We brings us to tears many times because we desire for God to move on his people in a more direct and positive way. We love you guys. And we spend time, quality time, burden for you in prayer. Pouring out your need to Christ. And we do it on your behalf. And we study to show ourselves approved so that when we come up here, you get the word of God. And I want you to know this church affords us that opportunity to do that. It's not that we don't want to serve tables. I've got no problems because I love God's people. But we're called to preach and to pray. Are you with me? Father, what can we say? What can we say, God? God, do great things when it comes to your son. Let your son be glorified in our midst, God. He's the only thing we're concerned about is the bread of life. Raise up all people around us, Father God, to to be used by you, Father God. Fill them, Father God, with your spirit. Let them have the wisdom that comes from obedience to your will, Father God. And let them seek to have good reputations inside the church and outside the church. Father God, I ask you to move upon this congregation, God. God, we're so grateful that you've given us such a great church with great people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.